Have you ever seen uh, a really cool building? Anybody ever seen a really cool building? And you're like, man, that is so neat. Sometimes it's a... It's office buildings, sometimes it's church buildings, all these different things. But I mean, architecture is really cool. People, I think, love beautiful buildings, right? I mean, what makes PNC the most beautiful ballpark in the country and in most estimations? It's not the structure of the, of the park itself. It's the view of the buildings in downtown Pittsburgh on that, on that panoramic view that's there. It's those neat buildings. I mean, PNC ballpark without those buildings in the background of the rest of the city would just be, eh, right? Nothing beautiful about it. But it's looking at those beautiful buildings. There's something about architecture, and it's been this way for a very long time. Amen? I mean, this is how, our, this is how society has gone for a very long time. I, I was down in uh, Argentina... And in Buenos Aires, which uh, is one of the largest cities in the world, there's large sections of Buenos Aires that if you look at it on Google Maps, uh, at least this was several years ago if you looked at it on Google Maps, maybe they've changed it, it shows them as large green areas. But if you're physically present, it is in fact not large green areas, but it is slums that the government says do not exist. Right? The houses are made of trash. Not very beautiful to look at. Don't, we don't put it on Google Maps because nobody wants to look at it. Nobody wants to say, this is nice to look at, right? But then we see other places where not only do you have a, a, a view, a satellite view, but they'll give you a street-level view because it's just nice to look at, right? And, and so I think that this is something that's hit us, you know. We try to make buildings look nice and do all of those things. This is no different with the church, you know, uh, we see that many churches, from many different traditions, they focus on their building, right? Some of them like this. Yeah, it is a wow. Some of them with, <laughs> some of them do like this, where they focus the structure on the baptismal pool or baptismal font or whatever you want to call it, right? Um, others they they focus on different things. You know, they focus on particular lines and drawing your attention up towards a particular area, how that draws you into the front, right? Others focus on different aspects, maybe a different set of lines, maybe that and this, this one, instead of drawing you to the, to the preacher, to the pulpit area, it draws your eyes naturally to that cross that's built into the middle there. Still others draw you into a completely different picture, and, and it highlights a particular color scheme and, and begins to put into us a kind of awe and, and, and a kind of wonder. And still others use different geometric lines and shapes, different colors, different feelings. We put a lot of effort as churches, as local expressions of God's universal church. And those are important. You cannot have the universal church without the expression of a local body. It is impossible. And you can't have the and you can't have the local body without the universal church because as soon as there's a local body, as soon as there's some believers, there's a universal church. Amen. They're they're not. It's not an either or proposition. But I want you to understand as I'm talking about churches today, I'm talking about local bodies. That perspective, right? Local bodies have put an effort in making their church buildings beautiful. A lot of local churches have done that over the years. The reality is that we are no different inside the Alliance. 
We have congregations inside the Alliance that focus on beautifying their place of worship. But the question is, is it worth the effort? Is this the focus God would have us to have? If it is the focus that He wants, should it be as intensely focused on as some churches have done it? These are going to be the types of questions that we wrestle with today as we look at holy places. Now, i got to be a little bit honest with you. Inside the Alliance, our focus on buildings, historically in Western PA and, and around the Alliance as well, has not been about making beautiful buildings, but instead it's been more focused on not messing our buildings up. Okay? There, there's not a whole lot of Alliance churches that are, are, are these kind of architecture that I'm talking about. Right? And, and we're going to get into towards the end about why that is. Right? But, uh, but like many other Alliance churches and, and non-Alliance churches in Western PA or in our region, you couldn't eat in the building, you couldn't run in the building, you couldn't play in the building, and you couldn't use this room, which, we refer, which some people refer to as the sanctuary, but I wish everybody would stop referring to it as the sanctuary. You can't use this for anything other than worship. This theologically is not a sanctuary. This is a sanctuary. God does not dwell in houses made by human hands. That is the theological truth, and I know some people struggle with that. You need to get frustrated at Jesus, not me. He's the one who said it in His Word. Right? This is the sanctuary, not this. This is just a worship center or a building that we use. Now, we've kind of focused... We've gotten focused on making sure that people saw the building, though, in the Alliance and in other denominations and other church groups as a holy place where people come together to meet God. There are Alliance churches, there are Catholic churches, there are Lutheran churches, there are Methodist churches, that their fellowship hall, the place where they eat a meal, is not physically attached to the structure that they worship in because it's been taught in Western PA, you can't eat in the building. It's not just, and, and it's funny because sometimes when you say that you can't have a meal in the building, some people say it's one of those. I've heard people in our church say it's one of those holiness churches. Um, guys, we're part of the holiness movement. The alliance is part of the holiness movement. And I'm not saying that we don't need to eat in the building because you guys know I've I got a cup of coffee right here, All right? So I'm not saying that. I'm just saying we are part of the holiness movement. And sometimes as part of the holiness movement, we become a little legalistic. That's one of the dangers that we have to worry about. But I digress. You know, the building being this holy place that we can meet with God, I I don't know, you know. I mean, and obviously OCCA in its history has let a lot of this old way of thinking go. But I have a question. Should we have let it go? Some people might wonder that. Should we have actually let it go? Some people might say, I don't know. You're saying we've let it go. Have we let it all go? So what do the scriptures have to say about this? In other words, in order to wrestle with the question about holy places, we need to not start with our personal feelings on it. But we need to see what does God's word say about this? And we're going to get to that. I just want to explain something, though. I, I've had this conversation recently, and, I, and not on the same subject, but our culture 
does not inform the scriptures and be okay with God that way. The scriptures should inform our culture. Now, I'm not saying we can't make the gospel culturally relevant. We need to. One of the ways at OCCA we make it culturally relevant is we do a biker rally in the fall. That's a cultural relevance. But if, but, and the Bible doesn't say this, but if the Bible did say that riding motorcycles was sinful, we wouldn't get to tell the Bible that it's wrong. The Bible informs the culture, not the other way around, when we're pursuing Jesus Christ, building His kingdom, and proclaiming His offer of freedom, healing, and life. So we need to start with the Scriptures. So I want you to go ahead and open up in your Bibles this morning to Hebrews chapter 9, starting in verse 23. We're just going to be looking at two verses today. Just two verses. I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version. You might be reading from the NIV or something else. That's okay. They're all translations. None of us are sitting here most likely reading from the original Koine Greek. If you are, more power to you. The rest of us are dealing with English translations. (laughs) So here's what the Scriptures say in the ESV. You follow along in your translation. Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Now before we get into exploring this, I want to make sure if you... I will not do this very often. But I'm going to kind of catch you up to where we're at. Okay? I won't do it very often because I don't... You should... If you've missed church for several weeks, you should feel lost. These things build. Right? And we can't always go back and review. You know, understand what I'm saying. We build as we go through the book. So you need to listen to the sermons online if you're out of town or something so that you know where we're at. That's, I think that helps people a lot of times if they've missed to listen to those and they all know where we're at. But here's what's been going on. We've talked over the last several weeks about Jesus and his and all of this purifying. And this is what's been going on here. And purifying all of the things and uh, purifying the tabernacle, purifying the instruments that are there, even purifying the people with the ashes of, of heifers. We read all of that part. We've went through all of that, right? And so God is saying here, we've talked about all of these rites of purification. We've talked about all of these things. Now, and then he gets into this point, right? Building upon what that's said there, he gets into this. Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things, right? He's referring back to that thing, but he's getting ready to make a shift in the conversation. Or she's getting ready to make a shift in the conversation. We have no idea who wrote the book of Hebrews. No clue. Some of you are rankling my suggestion that maybe it was a woman. I'm saying I'm not limiting God. I have no idea who wrote it. We will find out in heaven when we get there. We say, who wrote that? But um, anyhow, I digress. Let me get back into this. So we're talking about this purification stuff, right? So let's pray. Father, we come before you right now. We ask that you would illumine your word. Lord, that nothing that I've said so far will get in the way of people hearing from you. Father, that we will be challenged by you to wrestle with holy places and 
what is a proper understanding of those things and how do we work through those. And Lord, ultimately, that you, we believe that you're leading us on a journey somewhere, a journey that you know the end of. And so we ask you to speak in a very real and tangible way that we could follow you in all of this. Explain to us a proper view of holy places. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And God's people said, Amen. So, as we read through this passage of Scripture, and I'm going to try to bring it into a New Testament church context, right? We find that our church facilities, though they're extremely different from those used in Bible times, are to be stewarded well. Right? Verse 23a says that. Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites. God is saying here that there are earthly representations, copies, shadowy copies of the of what is in heaven that is here on the earth that is set apart for God's use and these are to be stewarded well. Church, I'm arguing today, maybe much of you maybe some of you are surprised by this, but I'm arguing today that we do need to steward this well. We do need to steward this well. I'm also arguing that stewarding it well may not be what's in your head right now. That we need to wrestle with what does that mean to steward this well. I want to touch on several aspects of this. Of why we need to steward it well. These earthly representations of of the shadowy things in heaven that we come to, I mean... Part of the reason we need to steward it well is that this is not not totally, but it kind of puts us in the mind of the throne room in heaven. Right? Now, trust me, the throne room in heaven is a lot nicer than this. Okay? I, I promise. <laughs> right? But it kind of puts us in that mindset of the throne room in heaven. Right? It, it kind of lends us to this thing of I am taking some special time to set aside and go seek an audience with the king of the entire universe. So we need to steward it well as people would, would see that. Now, me personally, I, I don't get anything special out of this, but I know that there are others in our midst who, when they come, they, they'll sometimes come during the week and just sit down to pray. And just because I don't feel drawn to this room to do that doesn't mean it's bad for them to feel drawn to this room to do that. We're all different. We're all seeking God and pursuing Him in in a way that is unique to us and yet is in line with Scripture, hopefully. And so we have to steward the building well because this, for many people, helps to get them inside of, of a mindset of being in the throne room of God. Another thing, this place helps us to visualize other things, other heavenly places that we cannot see. Not just the throne room, but I know that when people come in here and they get to talking, and they, it helps us to visualize other places we can't see. Let me tell you a way that I've seen this done creatively. I've seen in another church's facility, they took all their chairs out and they had this huge uh, cloth tarp that they'd sewed together and on that they painted different countries, the shapes of different countries, large. And they had a prayer time for missions and you would go to that country to pray. 
It helped them to visualize kind of this heavenly idea of this particular people group being reached with the gospel in this creative way. And so our facilities could be used with things like that. Now some of you are going, I don't know about the heavenly place, about visualizing that being a heavenly place. Wait till we get a little further in the sermon and you'll see why that's visualizing a heavenly place. The fact that we come here to set aside time to worship each week makes this place special too. We're stewards of the property. And thus we must treat it as if the owner were physically present. Now here's the reality. He is physically present. Because he lives inside of me and I brought him. And he lives inside of you and you brought him. With you when you came. And so he is here. By the way, let that go into stewarding at your house and your business and your car too. He's there. Right? So let's talk about stewardship. I mean, we can see some of the reasons why we need to steward this. And I could go on and on and on, but I think you get the point. Let's talk about what stewarding looks like. According to Erdman's Bible Dictionary, a steward is a noun and it means this in its basic sense. A person who manages the affairs of a large and wealthy household. The task of a steward might in different... uh, Excuse me. The task of a steward might include supervision of the service at the master's table oversight of the other household servants, or management of the master's finances and properties. Inside of the Christian and Missionary Alliance, we have in, in, in our church a, a what's called a property reversion clause in every constitution of every Alliance church, which basically means that if for some reason our church, OCCA, ceases to exist, the building and all of the stuff in it becomes the property of the, of the Western PA District of the Christian and Missionary Alliance so that that property can be used to either restart a congregation or the property be sold to fund restarting a congregation somewhere else. Right? Like, we own it, but not really. We believe that this is really God's, and so why this is important is so that no, like the church gets in trouble. This building, by the way, according to the insurance estimates, is worth over a couple million dollars. It's crazy. It'll blow you. I mean, it's crazy how much you know it's worth. Um, I think it's. I think that's the right number. I could be wrong. Don't hold me to that all the way. But it's it's worth an exorbitant amount of money. And we were. I was very surprised when I found out how much the insurance thinks it's worth. Well, should one member of the church be able to wait the rest of us out and then own it and sell it and get rich off of it? No, because it's not. It's not one person's property. It's the Lord's. We've given sacrificially. We've given our tithes. We've given our offerings and all of those things to get this building to be able to use to worship God and to have as a congregation. Amen? And so it's His. Nobody should be able to outlast. This is a survivor. Nobody should be able to outlast and outwit anybody else to end up with the building. Right? This has been something that's been set apart for the Lord. And so we have to be good stewards of it. It's His property. All of this is to show that we should definitely take care of the handcrafted holy places. This is the handcrafted holy place. Right? The shadowy copy of the heavenly things. We should take care of this. However, the the part that I really want to draw us to 
is this. We must always keep the stewardship of this building in its proper perspective to stewarding the heavenly holy places. So what are the heavenly holy places? This passage of Scripture points directly at the heavenly holy places, but it's easy to overlook. It's easy to overlook these heavenly holy places and to not see what they are. It comes right out of the passage. Here's what it says. Earthly holy places were purified via animal's blood. We remember, we built up to that, right? And all this animal's blood doing this. But heavenly holy places are purified by better blood. That's what it says in verse 23b. That's the second half of verse 23. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. Think about that. The shadowy copies were purified with animal's blood, but the heavenly things, which by the way are the eternal things, are purified with something better. With better blood. So if we're going to treat things on a scale, we better treat the heavenly holy things a lot better than we treat the earthly ones. Amen? Now, here's the question. What blood could be better than the blood of animals when it comes to purifying? Just shout it out if you know it. What blood could be better than the blood of animals at purifying? The blood of who? The blood of Jesus Christ. Listen, Jesus didn't die to purify this building. Let that sink in. Jesus did not die to save this building. I've read the end of the book. This building is going to be destroyed by God someday when he destroys the entire planet by fire. This is going to be destroyed. You can count on that. He didn't die to save this building. Amen? But he did die to save the heavenly things, to purify the heavenly things. Now the second point that comes out of this passage is that the the sanctuary which I don't like that word for this because this is the sanctuary, but what everybody refers to as the sanctuary, the room or the building we esteem so highly, is only a representation of the true heavenly holy places. That comes out of the first half of verse 24. For Christ entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things. Think about that. He didn't enter into the earthly handcrafted holy places to purify and make atonement. Instead, he entered somewhere else. These are only copies. These are only representations to point us to something. Wrestle with that for just a minute. If these are only copies then like I've already said, there's no way that our buildings are what God has in view with the purification rite of Jesus Christ on the cross. Here's the, here's the next clue about what the heavenly holy places are. The earthly sanctuary was the place of God's presence. Specifically, I want to point out to you 
that in, in the end of verse 24b, it says that Jesus was taking us into God's presence. And in the Old Testament times, the earthly holy place was representative of the place of God's presence. Now, what does the Scripture say about where God dwells now that Jesus Christ has been sacrificed and risen? Where does God dwell? Where is His presence at? Come on, guys. Where is His presence at? Come on. Where is His presence? Just shout it out. like you. I know that you guys get really uncomfortable when I ask for interaction, but I'm not sure. As I look at your faces, I don't see any kind of recognition. You're being too polite. You know, you're listening politely like good Western PAers do, but I'm trying to figure out if this is making sense or not. Where is the presence of God at? Just point, point to where the presence of God is. Within you. You may be thinking I'm going too far. Our clues so far that Jesus' blood purified the heavenly holy places the earthly sanctuary, the earthly building is only a representation of it. And, the, and that representation in the Old Testament times is where the Spirit of God made His manifest presence known. I know that that was not proper English. But where He made His manifest presence known. We know from other teachings in the New Testament that the blood of Jesus was given to purify one thing and one thing only. Verse 24b says it. On our behalf, Jesus Christ makes purification. That's the last three words of the sentence of that verse in the, in the ESV. On our behalf, Jesus Christ made purification. When I first read this over, I want you to understand something. If you think that you've come up with a new theological concept that everybody else is missing, you need to hold that pretty loosely and you better go check it good. You are not coming up with something that everybody else has missed. That's how cults start. Okay? You're not onto something that all the churches missed. And, and so I looked at this and I'm like, okay, if I'm saying that the heavenly holy places are us, then I need to hold this up next to Scripture and, and hold this up next to what other theologians have said over the years. Because it almost sounds like Jesus, was he's purifying something and and so as I start reading the commentaries, different commentators are saying that Jesus purified heaven with His blood. But then they admit that heaven wasn't defiled and didn't need purified. And so it's probably something about our corrupt presence in heaven. And I'm like, man, I, you know, I don't think He's talking about actually heaven, the place where God is at, you know, where we go and we die, where his throne room's at, because I agree that that's not been corrupted. But I think they're maybe afraid to take the leap to say that we are the heavenly things. We're the heavenly holy places. We're the eternal. That he's, and so I kept reading different commentaries and finally started finding commentators who also had felt like they'd heard the same thing from the Lord. That we are the heavenly places that he died to purify. That while, while we're reluctant to say that, we're reluctant to point to that because of how he phrases it here, that the only logical conclusion that we can come to 
is that he's talking about us specifically. So how does this all apply for us? I, I mean, I, like I said, I struggled on my own to say, am I, am I coming up with something crazy here? Or is this some brand new theology that nobody's ever discovered? Or is this something that God is actually pointing us to? And I think that it is. See, here's the difference that it makes. This view connects to the fact that most Alliance churches don't make extremely fancy buildings. I said I would talk about how this has affected us as the Alliance. We make functional buildings. We don't make fancy buildings. Typically, we make functional buildings. And there's a couple of reasons. Because the Alliance as the whole, on the whole has seen that God's plan is to redeem people. Therefore, our buildings should serve us rather than us serving them. You want to know why when you drive around and you look at different Alliance Church facilities that they don't look as fancy as some of the other groups do, it's because we look at those and we say, if we make it like that, it almost becomes not functional anymore. We're almost at that point afraid to spill coffee on the carpet. We're almost afraid to let somebody come in with muddy shoes on. We're almost afraid for somebody to come in who's, who's dirty, who maybe hasn't had a bath in three or four weeks because they're homeless, and, and it might mess the building up. And all of a sudden, we begin to serve the building rather than the building serving us. Now understand, we have fallen prey to it in, in some ways in the Alliance where we won't let anybody drink in the building and eat in the building and our fellowship halls are separate because, well, we're like, well, that'll just defile the whole thing. And so we, we, maybe we didn't make the nice architecture, but then we started protecting what we did make. But church, as we steward God's property here, I think what we have to realize is that this property is meant to serve us. To serve what God is calling us to do. We're not supposed to be slaves to this. It is a tool. I'm not saying we don't take care of it. I'm not saying we don't change the filters on the air conditioners, keep the light bulbs up, patch the drywall when it gets dinged up. I'm not saying that we get to just do any crazy thing that we want to. I'm not saying that we need to just, hey, you know what, it's just a building. Let's all, let's just use the building to have uh, paintball wars during the week so that, you know, no big deal because it's just, you know, da 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 da. But no, we, sh- we shouldn't be doing that. Okay? We shouldn't be doing that at all. Things that will destroy it and not keep it around for us to be able to use. But the building should be serving us. Let me, let me tell you about a, a friend of mine, close friend of mine. His son is mentally handicapped. They're driving down the road. And they're passing by. In the south, there's lots and lots and lots of beautiful church buildings. And they're passing by them as they drive to and from the places they have to go. And his son is, one day he says, Dad, his son starts crying. His son's in his 20s at this point. His son starts crying and says, Dad, I don't understand. And his dad said, what? And he goes, we have all of these church buildings. And we always drive by them and they're always empty except for on Sunday. Nobody's using them. 
It's like the building is the important thing. And they have to protect it. I wonder just how mentally handicapped he is. I wonder if he doesn't get it more deeply than the rest of us. He's weeping because it's breaking his heart. I believe he's heard the heart of God. I believe that he's felt the Father's pain as the Father looks down and sees all of these churches, these local expressions of the body of Christ who have set aside these buildings to use three hours a week maybe. We can't have other things going on inside of there because that's the thing that's set aside only to worship God. But I would argue that aren't we worshiping God if we were opening up our gym for a a basketball team to come in and practice? Aren't we worshiping God by serving them like that? Aren't we worshiping God by loving other people? I mean, didn't Jesus say the greatest commandment was to love the Lord your God with everything you had and then the second is like unto it? Or it could actually be translated linguistically and properly or to put it another way, love people like you love yourself. So aren't we worshiping God when we let them use the facilities and and, and not say just come in and trash it? Or do we think we're doing better by protecting it? See, the second point, the second difference that it makes is that beautiful architecture usually costs more, while functional architecture allows us to put more resources where it really counts. Reaching the lost. See, if I'm right, if I'm right and the heavenly holy places are us, are redeemed people, then when we move all the chairs out and we have, and I'm not saying we have to do this, but this particular manifestation of this, but we move all the chairs out and we set the big tarps out that have the different countries painted on them, and we go and we visualize being in that country, and we allow God to speak to us about the needs there, and we pray for those people, and we seek God for them, are we not then... You know, focusing on reaching the lost, focusing on bringing people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But you know what's really sad in a lot of churches? They can't do it. Do you know how many church buildings cannot be used for anything, at least their worship center can't be used for anything other than what we're doing right now? Chairs or pews are bolted down. Oftentimes, floors are even slanted and cannot be used for anything. I couldn't even be your pastor if the floors were slanted, for real. My wife can't stand on them. My amputee wife cannot stand on a slanted floor like that. If we would have come in the the Sunday that we candidated and and the floor would have been slanted, I would have known right then to turn it down. Because my wife can't do it. But there's lots of buildings that are built that way. And I'm not trying to beat up the churches that have done that. I'm just saying, doesn't it kind of seem weird that we take, a lot of times in a lot of churches, the biggest part of our facility and set it aside to use one day a week for nothing other than that worship service and nothing else? I scratch my head at that. And all of a sudden we begin serving the building rather than the building serving us. This is extremely important for us to keep in mind as we look at our future remodel and expansion. 
We've already sat down and had a couple of meetings with the architect and he's drawing up the things and he's coming back to talk to us about this. And, and I know that there's probably going to be inside of some of us a heart to make this a beautiful worship center. And if that's the direction that the body wants to go, that's the direction we'll go. But I'm hoping to lead you to something else. My job as a pastor is to point the way to this congregation. We're hoping that what the architect comes back with is something that is more functional, that increases the function, uh, functionality of our church, that helps us to use this building for more than the purposes that we're using it for now, to increase our ministry in the community, to increase our own members' use of this building to be able to do different things. We're going to be tempted to try to make beautiful, beautiful things, but I want to caution us in that. Now, I know that some of you right now, I really feel like the Lord has said this to me, some of you are thinking, isn't this convenient that He's preaching about this as we're looking at this? Yes, it is. And remember, I had no idea we were going to be looking at a building expansion when I became the pastor here and started preaching through the book of Hebrews. I think it's totally convenient. I think God is smart. He knows stuff. He knows where we're going as a church. He knows where we're leading. And this is part of his leading. The questions that he wants us to wrestle with as we come back. Because in this month, sometime this month, we're going to be looking at thumbnail sketches to try to figure out what are we going to do with this? How are we going to utilize this facility for God's glory, for God's honor? And I think God is asking us to wrestle with these tough questions as a congregation. Yes, how are you going to use this for my glory and my honor? And I think they're good questions to wrestle with. How do we do this? This is why I preach through a book of the Bible a lot of times, friends. Because when I get to something that hits and smacks of an agenda, I can say, yes, it was an agenda. Clearly, it was God's. I'm just preaching verse by verse through the book. Right? Our elders have kept this in mind as we've wrestled with stuff. Last year, we hosted uh, the 5K Jingle Bell Trot or whatever it was. You know, and we were going to host it again this year, but they decided that they wanted to start it at the Salvation Army and end it at the Salvation Army instead because they were thinking that might be a better route. And so thank God that the Salvation Army saw, you know what? Our building isn't here just to be a building. Our building's here to, to help the community. It's something to be used to glorify and honor God. And so our elders are a little jealous this year that the, that the Salvation Army got our ministry. But that's okay. We're all one church. Amen? In universal sense. But we've wrestled through this. We wrestled through this when we, when we bought these chairs. We were able to do something very interesting this year with our motorcycle ride, with the band playing afterwards and the meal being served inside because we were able to use this room more than just on Sunday morning. Some of you are grimacing at the fact that lots and lots of pig was ingested in this room, but you shouldn't. Lots and lots of racquetball was played in this room for many, many years. Amen? We don't want to fall into the trap that many other churches have where we serve the building. Where we can't eat in it, where we can't play in it, where we can't utilize it for other things. We need to continue to wrestle as we move forward with God. What do you want to use this for? And if we find ourselves looking as, the, as this all comes back at 
Obviously, there's going to be certain areas of the building where it's only going to be used for one thing, i.e. the bathrooms. Okay? But when we're looking at this stuff coming back going, are we locking this room in to only being able to be used for one thing once a week or once a month? We ought to be cautious about that. And say instead, how can we use what God has given us to reach the real heavenly things, the people? We also don't want to fall into the trap of this building being a monument to our own greatness. And that's what happens with a lot of church buildings, even functional church buildings. The building becomes a monument to our own greatness. Look at what we did. Boy, didn't we do something nice? Boy, we have to make sure the monument goes on and on and on. Boy, we have to take care of the monument because, you know, 20 years ago we had ministry in this community and we impacted it. And so we need the building to be this beacon that tells everybody about what we did 20 years ago. And the monument eventually becomes a museum and then ultimately it becomes a mausoleum full of dead men and women. We have to wrestle through this stuff as a congregation. I do not have all the answers. I'm not even sure that I have one answer yet about this building and how we use it going forward. But I know that here in the next few weeks, an architect is going to come back with, a, with some things. And as a congregation, we're going to have to wrestle with those things and say, okay, we're looking at the plan that he's got. How does this glorify God in this community? How does this help us to impact the oil region? Or does it just make us feel good about what we did? We're going to have to wrestle with those things. Amen. One more thing I want to say before I conclude. Maybe one of the things that I want us to really consider. Inside of the Alliance, there are churches who've done without nice things on purpose, sacrificially, so that the money could be used for something else. As we consider as a church moving forward, I want us to consider what God would have us to give up. Maybe we could just do, uh, you know, we could do crazy stuff on the walls, but we decide to, you know, we're just going to go with something plain because we're going to use that money to advance God's kingdom. Maybe we could do crazy floor coverings, but we decide to go with something a little more uh, economical that's, and going to be a little more durable or whatever because God wants us to use our resources to impact the kingdom. I pastored a church for a few years that never had air conditioning inside the building because they were sacrificing. They wanted to use that money to glorify God instead. And you've got to understand that's a big sacrifice for a fat guy like me. But we need to wrestle with that. Because we're going to be tempted to dump millions into this over the course of 20 or 30 years. And I'm going to say, even if we have the nicest building in town in the end, if nobody comes to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we wasted all the resources. We need to make sure what we do as a church moving forward 
is used to glorify and honor Him and to bring people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Now I know some of you might be struggling with some of this. That's why I got homework. Monday is Matthew 6, 19 through 20. Guys, this passage of Scripture is about treasure in heaven. Tuesday, Revelation 21, 1 through 7. This is about earthly things passing away, but we will remain as people with Him forever, or we will remain as people cast away from His presence forever. We're going to either be sheep or goats. Wednesday, 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 17. We're the temple of the Spirit. Everything should be about building us up, not building up a building. Thursday, Luke 19, 1 through 10. People are who Jesus came for, not property. Friday, 2 Chronicles 2, 1 through 16. Handcrafted holy places, houses of worship, cannot contain our God. And Saturday, Matthew 25, 31 through 46. Serving other people is what it means to serve and worship Jesus. So read these, reflect on these, because I think this is important for us to walk into this as we look at this, and we're getting ready to go into a long-haul kind of thing, two, three, four, five years with this building, trying to figure out what we're going to do and how we're going to get there. And we need to have this fresh on our mind every step of the way. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we come before you. We ask that you would help us to understand what it is that you want to do in our lives. What it is that you want to do with our church facility. Lord, we may have ideas of things that we want to see remodeled or expanded or renovated that you may want us to leave alone. And we may have other things that we're planning to leave alone that you want us to change. So we ask that you would give us wisdom as a congregation as we move forward. Father, I pray against the inevitable power struggles that would come in so many churches that they wouldn't come in this church, in this body, as we seek you. But instead, Lord, we will view each person's input as valuable. And that they are a valuable person even without input. And that our church will grow in unity of your spirit. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen.